0: Hello and welcome to the Underwater Sunshine Podcast. My name is Adam Duritz. My friend is named... James Campion. Exactly correct. Well done. No hesitation. It's I, like I mean, you knew the answer ahead of time. 52 of these and I finally got it right. Is this 52? It, 51. 51.
1: 51. 51. See, 51.
0: I, I got that wrong. Right on, man. So we're back into Rod and Woody. And we've, we've uh, already talked through three of the records. We had the first Rod Stewart album or... An old rain tech coat never lets you down. I think what it's whatever it's called. And then uh, right. we did first step by the faces, and then we did gasoline alley. And today we're back into the faces with long player. Now this is uh, your favorite faces album. My
1: favorite faces album. Uh, first, I don't
0: agree with you, but I think it's amazing. It is. Uh, a-
1: obviously, the the, the um, not as as good as a, a wink to a blind horse gets most of the accolades, and rightfully so. It's got stay with me on it, a bunch of other things. I love Long Player because it's the most complete... If if you were to ask me to introduce a Faces record or what the Faces did well, one of the things, and I was talking about this with Adam prior to when we when we started, is that I love the album Coast to Coast, which is a live record of theirs that came out either after the band broke up or right around that time. But it was from like the early 70s, which I love. I would play that because they were a fantastic live band. But this record has... Ballads on there that will inform the next Rod Stewart record. Every Picture t- Tells a Story. We're going to dive deep into that. And I believe it has the Lucy kind of fun country and everything that went into the first record. So it's a great bridge to the opening statement by the Faces and then one that would make them the most famous, at least as far as a record is concerned.
0: I hear what you're saying. And for a lot of their career, one of the things about the Faces is that they, is that they are rep- reputed for a lot of years to be a better live band than on record. And one of the things this record has is several live tracks, which are spectacular. Um, they really are. And we're going to play one of those today. <laughs> and I, I think that's all true. And it's why, up to this point, I find this to be a much better record than First Step because the writing's better. But the thing that happens for me with the next album when they finally get around to is not as, is as good as a wink, dot, 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 to a blind horse, <laughs> is that Glenn Johns comes on and he's just done Get Back with the Beatles, which is a disaster, but he's there to record while this chaos is going on, right? which allows him to deal with all the stuff going on with this band at times. Right, uh, But he also had just finished Who's Next, and I think he had a really good idea for how to uh, record a band. But we'll get to that when we get to that record. Yeah, I was
1: going to say, sonically, without a doubt, you'll see a progression in these records. And Glenn Johns, of course, famously working with The Who prior to that. But interestingly enough, his work with acoustics, because... You talk about the acoustic guitar and how it's used in the Rod Stewart stuff and as well as some of the Faces stuff. Uh, he would go on to to produce and work with the Eagles in their nascent time and they just found his overly controlling way, the way George Martin did with the Beatles, to be too much for them and then they went in another direction. But what he did for the Faces, the Eagles might not have needed. They were old road cats who really knew how to do it. The Faces needed to be corralled and they needed to be to get that live sound to be forced into the and what he did with the stereo, everything you're saying is absolutely true. What happens trip. does he do with the Eagles? I think he did the first record, but then they fired. Oh, early him. stuff, really. Yeah, early. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, wow. And I mean, because he does things that it, it. What it does is it makes the grooves happen in ways like from the very beginning of. Well, we'll get to that when we get to is it, not as good as Wink. Uh, like not as nothing against Long Player, which I think is spectacular. I love and this record. the playing on this record. I want to start off with a song. It's not actually live, but it gives you about as close an approximation of what a live faces thing must have been like because it is so loose and so just like searing and perfect and like guttural and and it's a uh, it's it's uh, there it's an original it's it's uh, had me a real good time which is also quintessentially a uh, a sentiment. That I think the faces were all about. As they put, I read a lot about them recently. You know, like they would hang out and they rehearsed a lot. They didn't think they were sloppy at all. They would rehearse a lot, but if they got stuck, they wouldn't sit around worrying about it. They'd just leave and go to the pub, and uh, and then as soon as they got an idea, they'd finish their drinks and come back and work. Right. But and so they did it a lot. They at one point in their career, after drinking a lot on stage. Uh, they actually installed a bar and a bartender on stage <laughs> right. during shows to actually make that work better. And <laughs> I'll tell you what, as drunk as they get, it's no problem for them. Nope. They can apparently hold their liquor because they play their asses off. But this they is the sure first song can. on side two. I want to start off with it because it is so fucking rocking to me. And it just, it's just very visceral faces. Uh, so check this out. Ron Wood on guitar Kenny Jones on drums Ronnie Lane on bass Ian McCloggan on keyboards and Rod Stewart on vocals this is the faces from long player 1971 February of 71 keep that in mind because this entire podcast is going to be about 1971 (laughs) February of 1971 faces had me a real good time
1: That is Quintessential Faces. Thank you for playing that. Uh, I would have opened the record with it, although it does have a great opener. That's Bobby Keys that we talked
0: about Bobby at the Keys end on saxophone. Bobby kicking it. Uh, uh, and wanted, there's a funny story. Bobby Keys, famous for playing on, you know, Leonard Skinner, uh Lennon, Clapton. Uh, yeah, it was on Harry Mad Nielsen, Dogs. Uh, lot, and tons and tons of Stones. Yeah. Well, he plays the,
1: the, the iconic sax solo in Brown Sugar.
0: Yeah. And he he was on tour with them for years. There's a funny story on Wikipedia that he and Mick were, like, best friends, and he's the best man at Mick's wedding. He tours with them from 70 to 73. It says in here, he was abruptly dismissed by an incensed jagger after filling a bathtub with Dom Perignon, resulting in a debt to the band that significantly exceeded his entire salary for the tour and drinking most of it himself. Although Keyes did not dispute the veracity of the incident, he subsequently maintained his memoir that he left of his own volition. (laughs) <laughs> to curtail his heroin addiction, apparently, yes. but to stay alive, yeah, get away from Keith, yeah, yeah. but still, uh, <laughs> it, an insanely indeed. good sax player and an impressive uh, way to use a bathtub. And well, yeah. the one thing
1: about Bobby Key, well, Bobby Key's played with um, with Buddy Holly. That's how far he goes back. Uh, a true Texan uh, through and through. When he joined the Stones, which was through after playing on the Mad Dogs and Englishmen tour uh, with Jim Price, and uh, that was Leon Russell's band. They completely got absorbed into the whole Exile Main Street, Stones Across America 72 tour, which would be the year after this. Uh, and Bobby Keys, right at that point, became one of the, the great uh, touring, partying, crazy men in the history of rock and roll. And what he adds to that song, what he adds to this record, which I said is, is I believe is the most complete record of them because they do several ballads. One, I believe, is Rod Stewart's finest ballad. And that's a bold statement, but I'm going to stick with it. We'll play it. Very soon, if not next. But they also have this, which is the raucous raucous live greatness of what they do here. You know, it just gets loose. It falls apart. It comes back in. And I just, we're not going to do too much lyrical stuff with the faces. But (laughs) just two stanzas here, if I may. Dancing madly round the room. Yeah. Singing loudly. Sort of out of tune. Was escorted by a friendly slag. Round the dot, dot, dot back. Wandered c- c- cross ellipses, <laughs> missed my step, and I fell on the floor. Said one word, and was asked to leave. Kinda wish I was dead. <laughs> and this is the persona that Rod Stewart really in the early days. I think that's what we're getting across with these podcasts. Rod Stewart later on was a jet-setting sex symbol pop artist, massive star. He was one of the guys that the punk movement looked at and was like, oh, God, look at these guys with their planes and their giant you know, uh, hotel rooms and the girls all over the place. But there was a time when Rod Stewart was a punk. He was this smelly. There's songs that you will play today where he talks about how he smells and he's lost and he's got nowhere to go and he's drunk and he's... He's getting thrown out of bars, and he can't finish sentences. And this is the kind of thing that worked with the faces, but he brings it also into his solo work, that kind of wet, drop it, drippy dog, lost. And it made girls love him, and it made guys want to hang out with him, and I love
0: that person He's a lad. He's a lad. But, I mean, it's very much how they all were at the time. I and mean, they talked about... Uh, I mean, it, it is a group of guys. I mean, this song is... Uh, what Ronnie Lane, Rod Stewart, and Ron Wood wrote it. Um, you know, and they're... Well, one of the things to talk about is like, you know, previous to this, you know, when he's in Jeff Beck group, he's still very, very shy. He's singing from behind amps at times. You know, he's not. Good point. Coming. He starts to come into his own on his first solo record. And then in the, he really fits in with the faces and they are a band and it's a very much a band and their identity as a band is very important to all of them because they've come out of a really terrible situation where they were a band. The small faces, you know, three of them, and then one day at the height of their success their lead singer lead guitar player well you know songwriter walked in and said this is great i'm out of here i'm <laughs> yes. starting a band with peter frampton and left to start humble pie yeah you know uh, and they Steve were Marriott. devastated yeah. you know yeah. they were it was completely unexpected they were young guys just starting off in their career and they were you know it was everything they were and all of a sudden they'd just been deserted For They had no idea why, you know, and I think they were, and uh, at that point, you know, when they met Ron Wood and then, you know, soon after that, Rod Stewart, you know, it was really important to all of them to be a band, as they said, uh, you know, in several interviews and and, and Rod Stewart brings it up at one point, we really wanted to be a band, you know, like those guys were, at first they were hesitant to bring him in because they didn't want another singer guy a prima donna you know they already been through that they didn't want to be they didn't want to, some guy who was going to come in and then leave to make his own records and then as rod said and the bummer is that it's exactly what i did right but not you know, but, but not after not a for while. while yeah it's not a long time though it's 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 about three years well he four made years. four solo albums while he was still with the faces yeah. and, and it, one before he even joined the band yeah. it, it, but it takes about four years it's not a long period of time they happened to make eight or nine records in those four years him and Ron, Ron, and Ron, Ron yeah um, between them and the faces, they make eight or so records. It's it's a very it's a very fertile time. As we're going to show you in 1971, they make three. Right. Uh, beginning right. with this one in February, but uh, anyway, I just wanted to say that that's it's it's, a, it's it's very key to who they are and what happens with these guys. That they're it's very important to them that they are a band and that they are tight and they are tight right now. They're really close. They love touring together. In uh, they tour together for both bands, Rod Stewart bands. On tour are are pretty much the faces. The faces on tour are obviously the faces, and they
1: play Rod Stewart songs, and he'll sing Faces songs. It's all intertwined. Yeah, it's very intertwined. And good point that you make there that he was very he was very shy and very kind of lost. And Ron Wood brought him in and gave him direction. He became a lead singer. He became a front man with the Faces, and I would say every bit is good. And this is you know almost. You know, it's sacrilege to say it, and I love Mick Jagger, but you look at those faces, he is fronting that band, he's shaking it, he's wearing these wild outfits, he's, he's getting in there with Ron Wood doing the Keith Mick thing. He really did come into his own, and and uh, and which would make him later on a very big
0: star. Yeah, no, there's a point here to me in these years where they're every bit as good as the Rolling Stones. The records that Rod makes and that Rod makes with the faces are right up there with the Stones records at the same time specific especially the Rod records as far as like songwriting wise and what they are and it really starts right here uh, with the next song you're going to play which is is one of the ones that this could be a Stone song. Yeah. Very much, you know.
1: And it's and it, it to the, the, we're going to I guess we're going to play uh Sweet Lady Mary which I I told Adam when we were discussing songs this and again, another bold statement, but I think it really is true because I spent a lot of time when we started doing this, listening to all the early Rod Stewart records all the way up to the mid-70s. And although I do love Tonight's the Night and uh, you know, You're know you in My Heart and so many of other, the other ballads, um, certainly Maggie Mae, which is more like a rock and roll song, but this song, I think, is his finest ballad. I love the way he sings this. I love the way the band plays behind him. And it does one thing, I think, that he continued to do throughout his career. And that is, he's singing, and the guitar pl- player is playing the melody with him, and then later on playing the harmony with him. So he's singing along with it, and it gives it that great foundation, and I think that that's kind of a thing that he did in his solo work. Well, he on. and
0: Ron did it for sure, because it's the same thing going on on Gasoline Alley. Gasoline Alley, I think Alley, that's Ron yeah. Wood. It might be Sam Mitchell playing that slide there, but uh, on, on Gasoline Alley. I'm not sure which one of them plays it, but... Uh, but uh yeah he 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 liked to do that on stuff you know? and and there's a sophistication, as Adam was saying just now, there's a sophistication
1: to the stone's boozy, sort of dark, dangerous blues based music, and that's the way you hear here there's a sophisticated is sophisticated way that this song is structured. I love the sing song part at the end uh I love the way it's arranged it's got this eight or 10 measure soloing in the middle of it where it really becomes like a Faces song. Prior to that it could be on a Rod Stewart solo album because it's just so beautiful and he's singing and the melody's so great. Yeah, it's it's one of the finest things he ever did, I think.
0: Let's play it. This is uh, again from Long Player 1971 early 1971. This is the Faces, Sweet Lady Mary. <laughs>
2: Sweet Lady Mary Esther to rest her bowhead. Wakes in the morning with her breakfast in bed I tried to help her but I did not know how I tried to love her but it's all Nothing left to comfort me Except a sunny day Steal away Steal away Over the stones along the dusty old road With every footstep one more tale is told with every turn and one more side to see Sweet Lady Mary's seen the last of me A lesson is learned I'll never come this way again I'll steal away
0: yes i mean it's such a good song and the whole thing just especially all the touches ron wood adds on the slide on the electric when it comes in and the way he interacts with ian McLaughlin, you know on the keys it's pretty beautiful
1: yeah we talked a little bit in the last podcast about how the band influenced so many bands uh, of this era and um, certainly the faces, and you hear it there, the, the way that Hammond is used specifically on the coda. But yeah, you're right, there's that, that 10, like I said, about a 10-measure uh, part in the middle where it's just this cool back and forth between Ronnie and uh, Ian McLaughlin, who would both later on join the Rolling Stones, one as an official member, the other one as a keyboard player, but and played for years in the late 70s, early 80s, throughout the 80s and uh they just they play so beautifully together and i and and again rod rod stewart is embracing the character you know those are his lyrics and his story and he's telling it and he's telling it in that beautiful way only rod stewart can
0: yeah it's an it's incredible and it's a i mean they wrote it again it's another one that was written uh by rod stewart ronnie wood and and ronnie lane uh so, I don't know who's responsible for what parts, but it's a, it's a beautiful piece of writing.
1: It really is. It's got two great melodies in it. La da 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 da, la da da da, that ending part. And then, of course, the Sweet Lady Mary. And all that stuff totally works for me. I mean, every time I hear it, it just I, my heart soars. <laughs> I love it. I, I just, to think that these guys being the fun loving clan that we said, you know, lads, um, to pull that out. Uh, in the middle of this record that I said is very diverse extreme, shows all the different sides of how good this band will be and how good it is and how good Rod, Rod Stewart's career will be especially as a balladeer especially as a guy who will tell you stories in song and you will not get a better example of that than you will on his next solo album which follows this I put the two of these records really really together um, as a, a double statement especially when you consider that song
0: yeah, I mean, to me, he's just the quintessential singer. Like, uh, and I'll get into that more when we get to the next record. But like, to me, he's unparalleled in a lot of ways as a singer. Uh, yeah, you
1: can't. Yeah, you really. He's very unique. You can't really compare him to a lot. In fact, later on, a lot of people would say, "Hey, he's a Rod Stewart kind." He's a Rod Stewart type singer,
0: but those guys weren't. It really just meant they had a gravelly voice, but that was not the thing with Rod. Mm, true. It just happened to be there. You know, I think I feel like for a lot of people, they would say it to about anyone that had a gravelly voice, right? And I don't think that's what makes it Rod good because th- those guys can't compare. Right. Uh, there's
1: a wounded romanticism to this singing. There's a sense of real longing, but also sort of. The guy at the end of the bar telling you a story. There are story songs. These are the songs that really gripped me as a kid. Those 1970s story songs. The, the singer-songwriters. And this guy is every bit as good as those uh, guys out there. Telling their stories. But doing it in a band construct. And also
0: doing it, as, a, as I said, as a kick-ass lead singer. Yeah, I mean, I also just think he's a better... His phrasing is, in a completely different way, his phrasing is, is Sinatra level. He is so good. He sings these songs. I don't want to talk about too much of this right now because it's really important on the next record, but he does things with vocals that other guys don't do because of his phrasing. It's just so spectacular. He'll, he'll make something that shouldn't be a great lyric into a great lyric because, not that it's badly written, but because, well, I'll, we'll just talk about it in a little bit. Yes, uh, yes. Let's finish this up. This next song is another example of... His, their ability, his ability and their ability, especially to play covers, because they are spectacular with the covers. This song, it should be impossible for almost anybody to make a comparable version to the original. Especially since the live
1: version that later on became a hit for Paul McCartney, and we're talking about Maybe I'm Amazed, which we broached in the last podcast. It's so good that they use the live version of it for this record. As Adam mentioned earlier, there are two, maybe even three. I think there's at least two live cuts on this. But this thing is so good. And you could clearly see at the end on the fade, he says, we're just warming up. So it's early in the set that they do this. And it's got all the elements that, that McCartney made on his original first album, which is just McCartney, Paul McCartney in, in his Scottish you know, cabin as the Beatles are breaking up. And then later on in the seventy mid seventies, it becomes a bigger hit because Paul makes it this rousing big. But the Faces do it first. Two years after it's recorded and and put out, or year after excuse a year, me, a year, a year after yeah. he, he they are doing ballsy. Great. The other thing too is this is an ex- excellent example of why this is a band. Ronnie Lane, who had an excellent voice, we played him singing lead last week in Stone. He sings the first verse and he does it. Honor, and then Rod comes in for the chorus. They do the choruses together. Boy, they do them together. But the way Rod takes over and the way he sings it, you start to feel now he has one foot in soul and one foot in rock and roll. It's almost
0: like Otis Redding. Well, he would always have told you that you know Sam Cooke was his biggest influence. Yes, you know he he was. He came from a soul background. There's a funny story in this. uh, There's a box set Five Guys Walking into a Bar about the Faces and. One of the things in here is uh, they're on, they were touring constantly in America. I think in 1970 they did six tours of America in the same year, I think. <laughs> Something like that. But uh, they're on the road in America. Uh, Ron, Ian McCloughan and Ronnie Lane hear this song on a car radio while they're driving through Connecticut. Ian McCloughan says, we went to a record store the next day and bought it. Then Woody, Rod, and Kenny came around. We were staying at uh, Andrew Lou Goldham's house, the Stones manager, or their ex-manager at the time. Right. Uh, as he puts it, using up his drink cupboard. And we worked up an arrangement, basically, Otis Redding fronts the Rolling Stones. Yeah. We played it at the next gig. That's what McClocken calls He says, basically, Otis Redding fronts the Rolling Stones, and we played it at the next gig. That's cool. I never
1: read that, but you listen to Rod Stewart here. He is channeling Otis Redding circa 67, 68, the guttural way, the bluesy. It's as soulful. It's as urban. It's as American as Rod Stewart gets. And
0: listen to the faces. As you were just saying, I mean, they definitely take it to they. They give it some rock. They take it to all these dramatic heights that the original version doesn't. That it's funny in a way because then uh, McCartney kind of covers them back. They're covering McCartney, but a few years later with Wings, when he's doing those big tours, and that's the one that made the hit. He's covering the faces, covering him. But this is recorded just a few blocks from here, quite honestly, and it's only. It's, it's uh, November 10th, 1970, when this concert happened at the Fillmore East, just a few blocks from here. It's only—it's funny how records worked back then. It's only three months before the record comes out. Maybe two months. I mean, this record comes out in February sometime. They don't say when. I'm not sure exactly when. Well, I'm guessing they taped that show and said, holy crap, we got to put this on a record. I mean, the album's recorded between September of 1970 and January of 71. Uh, this and is on that tour. Some of it's with the Rolling Stones mobile unit, which this probably must be. Uh, anyways, this is them doing Paul McCartney's Maybe I'm Amazed. Uh, Ronnie Lane and Rod Wood sharing the vocals throughout, and it's pretty great. It, it just reaches heights that other one doesn't go to.
1: I, I, I agree, but it does have that great keyboard that kicks in that really jerks you back into... You know, clogging's like Wurlitz or Electric, it whatever that kicks is kicks right yeah, I just wanted to make this point. This was recorded when...
0: November tenth, nineteen seventy. Okay, so the, the the McCartney album came out April seventeenth, nineteen seventy. Right. So like they're they're literally on tour in America. <laughs> they're in the car. This isn't the first time they played it, probably. But like he says, they're in the car. Him and uh, That's great. Ian McLaughlin and Ronnie Lane hear it. Uh, they go and buy it the next day. They find a record store in Connecticut and buy it the next day, and they play it at the next gig.
3: That's fine.
0: They work, they work up a version that afternoon at Andrew Lou Golden's house. And they play it the next day. And this is, you know, sometime a few months later, probably. But, anyways, this is uh, The Faces. Maybe I'm amazed.
2: Yeah, all right. It's one you may well know, you may not know it. And if you don't know it, I really don't know where you've been. So, you should know the tune. Here we go.
0: I love that part where it breaks down, and it's just the two of them totally singing in unison, and then Rod switching to the little harmonies at the end of the lines. So beautiful! Uh, but it's so nice to hear two guys just singing together in unison, not harmony, just like yeah, just two guys singing a two great sounding melody together. Voices, yeah, you know, it's just like a uh, guys in a bar singing along. You know what I mean? It really is that feeling of just two guys just singing because it's fun to sing because they yeah. love the song I and mean, the melody is yeah. great and so. And then it builds up out of that and just this magnificent... They're really good at those straight... He, <laughs> they do it a lot in a lot of different songs with that kind of a, kind of slamming uh, breakdown. And you'll see that later on uh, on some of the stuff on Every Picture Tells a Story. There's, well, it's not the faces, but it's just a really great way of playing. It is. It is. And,
1: and, it's, and it has a great... Listen, he sings those choruses just... I can't say it enough. I mean, I... I'm just sitting here. Where is he channeling that? And I like how Ron Wood uh, does the guitar part instead of the woo, you know, the part that Paul yeah. does vocally. Uh, but he does it really nice. And, but yeah, just the way he's just the guttural, soulful, bluesy. Really, I, 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 it, the hair stands up on the back of my neck when he sings that. It's so good. And of course, the song's great. Can you imagine, though? And just to ask you, can you imagine if it's like maybe six months after a long December came out. Like some band recorded it and put it on a live put it on their record. And it was kick ass. You'd be like, what the hell, man? That is I mean, they people did that a lot back then, but it's very odd, you know, nowadays if someone like six months after a record came out. And, you know, that wasn't a big hit, but it was the biggest hit off of McCartney. And this is Paul Frickin' McCartney now, who was still technically kind of a Beatle when he put that out. And he was a Beatle. I mean that could easily have been on a Beatle record. And then they're recording, and they're, they're doing their rec- recording of it, and I feel it's superior to Paul's um, solo album version of it. Uh, and then later on, as you mentioned, uh, Paul does a great
0: live version. Well, it goes to different places. I, I love that solo album version. This goes to something, I mean, that's a very much a guy playing alone feel. This is, this is a band having a rave up in a concert feel. You know what I mean? They, they, they go to different places than his does. Yeah, You know, um True. True. And, and
1: then when I say these things, when I was talking to like last week, I just don't want to give the, the, the indication that I'm saying that Country Comforts by Elton John is not a really great recording. It is. But what Rod Stewart for me did with it was, as we talked about last week, own it, shift it. And now I find that if I was going to play that song, just the song, hey, check out this great song called Country Comforts. Forget about who wrote it or anything else. That's the version I would play. And I, I have to say, except for McCartney's live 76 version of this song, I'd play this next.
0: I would, before his original version, which is saying something. So, this is February of 1971. March 28th, 1971. So, I don't, we don't know when this came, the other one came out in February. That's so, it's great. just like six weeks later, later. <laughs> a month later, four That's weeks crazy. later. Rod Stewart releases Every Picture Tells a Story. And... This is just a stunning record. In trying to talk about what to play, I nearly listed every single song on the record, and you're like, we should probably leave something off because that's <laughs> going to take forever. But they all seem in different ways so important to me. It really knocks me out. Like, And I want to just start off talking about the very first song on the record because he's doing this thing here with acoustic music that is almost punk in its fury, and there's a way they do it, and it's worth listening to the song with that in mind. It starts with this beautiful acoustic figure. On the on the on a twelve string, which and this is, opens the record, by the way, everyone. Which is Ron Wood playing, and then there's this hanging pause, and then the song just explodes as the drums crash and the vocal comes in, sort of at the same time, not quite, but a split second behind <laughs> yeah. it, so it gives it this like jerk. Which, which is cat- It's weird because You'd think it'd be more powerful Coming in together But there's something about The jerk of the split second Between the drums and the vocal That actually is like a catapult That just launches the song And it is It just makes it explode In the top um, It's a weird song It's mostly driven by 12 string acoustic Bass and drums Uh, And boy, what bass and drums. I mean, Mickey Waller is beating the living shit out of the drums, and he he mostly leaves the hi-hat open, which makes it sound sloppy, but it's not sloppy. The bass and the guitar are Ron Wood. And there is some electric that comes in at key moments, but it is mainly
1: driven by that acoustic.
0: It doesn't come in for a while, though. Um, Ron plays the guitar and the bass, and it's fucking incredible. This bass is like this driving, farting fountain of (laughs) melody and propulsion. (laughs) And I, I was reading things about this over the last week or two. It literally sounds like this, like a... It just, it's just got so much drive and melody in yeah. it because there's no lead guitar in the middle. It's the bass playing it. Right. And there's acoustic Which he's on done the already for him. Which yeah, he's and, done for already on and the he, last And they, they really make it work on this record. Uh, and I've heard people... I read people talking about the bass on this and Maggie Mae, both of which are Ron Wood, who's playing almost everything on Maggie Mae. Right. Uh, and on this. Uh, and they're talking about how many clams there are in it and... This is a perfect example to me of people who just do not understand how music works. Uh, I mean, there maybe there are clams. There probably are, but I have never noticed Please them. Please explain they, to
1: the audience what a clam
0: is. A mistake. A, a note that's the wrong note. And maybe they're there. They probably are. I have never noticed them because they do not matter. Nope. Like It is almost impossible to by compose way, anything as searing as this bass part. And by the way, it belongs. If this clams, it belongs in this song. This song,
1: at, from the very opening, like you said, no producer today would allow that to tumble in the way it does, but it... Works so beautifully, it introduces the album so wonderfully, and just the first line spent time feeling inferior standing in front of my mirror is just what I told you that persona of I'm just some goofball from the streets, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Okay, let's give this a shot, which is just so endearing and so charming. And the record is so sloppy, and but as you've mentioned in the past so well arranged and very smartly put together to give it that balls without just throwing, turning up an amp and jamming it. It's got the balls of a, of, a, of a rock and roll tune without having
0: to inundate you with volume. It is one of the most rocking pieces of music ever recorded in my mind, and the electric guitar doesn't come in for three and a half minutes, and it's gone again 10 seconds later. And it only comes in one other time. You're my, right. My, my, my point is like they're, they're managing all this drive with an acoustic 12 string, which is generally thought of as a very pretty instrument. <laughs> yes. Uh, bass and drums. <laughs> I would, I, I, it's really cool. how He does the drums. We studied this a lot when we were doing, uh, it was the sound we were trying to recreate for parts of, uh, you can't count on me. Leaving the hi-hat open, playing right. a simple kit. We mic'd the drums from across the room. All right? So that you got the sound of the whole kit and you got the sort of mess of it, but that like you really got the smack of it. And we didn't use many close-up mics on it at all. Um, that's what that does sound like it sounds like a lot of room in there it's what we were trying to do on the big the loud parts of that song was just like a kind of like approximate this this sound and I want you to notice too this is what I was talking about about Rod as a singer there's a lot of stuff in this that doesn't rhyme Uh, very almost if there are rhymes at all they're interior in the lines spend some time feeling inferior standing in front of my mirror comb my hair in a thousand ways but I came out looking just the same kind of rhymes Daddy said, son, you better see the world. I wouldn't blame you if you wanted to leave. But remember one thing, don't lose your head to a woman that'll spend your bread. So I got out. Paris was a place you could hide away if you felt you didn't fit in. French police wouldn't give me no peace. They claimed I was a nasty person. Down along the left bank, mind of my own, was knocked down by a human stampede. Got arrested for inciting a peaceful riot when all I wanted was a cup of tea. There are interior rhymes in these lines, but not much (laughs) rhyme. And it doesn't matter because he sings it with such. He makes the rhythm of the lines match. He makes the rhythms and the timings rhyme. And where there are interior rhymes, he snaps them out at you. So they do have an effect. But. Rhyme is one of the things that helps a song work. It ties our mind back to it. And when you take it out. You really have to deliver it as a singer, and that's one of the things he does. You would never think about the fact that a lot of these lines don't rhyme. It's true on this, and it's true on Maggie Mae, that he can write this. It frees him in the way he wants to write, too, because he he doesn't need to rhyme at the end of the lines because he knows he's good enough as a singer to pull it off, and you have to be. You have to make your phrasing, your rhythm. Something's got to... Echo the line before, and he makes it work without the easiness of rhymes. Rhymes can be great, and they're not easy to write. It's to be great songwriting, but his singing is a part of his writing on that because he can trust that he can pull it off. Not every singer could. I've heard covers of this song; they're terrible because this, they they can't make the work. lack of rhymes work. And the way he's
1: singing this is like a preacher. He's pre- when he sings those last lines, "So I got out," or like "I was accused." You know, it's it's almost like sweet Jesus. You know, testify can I get a witness? That's what
0: he's saying. Like after he sings his verse and if I... But admit, there's no false uh, no. aping the preacher thing in it. No. It's actually, he's doing That's it like my that. interpretation. Talking and singing but he's it's all in his voice. No question. He's singing the shit out of this. Also if I, a tip of the
1: cap to Margaret Bell who is, I looked her up because I've always loved her singing on this, was a Scottish folk uh, blues singer. She sings on the second and third verses of this I believe and the two of them I I can't imagine. I believe this must have been live. It had to be one take. There's parts in there where she just kind of grasps for air, and they leave it in there. Like he goes or something. You, you could hear it in the in the in the song. It's just like so. I, again, I say it's a structured sloppiness to it that is you will hear throughout this entire record. This is why when I judge how wonderful records are how how i judge them is does it have an excellent opener does the first side back in the day when that mattered end with a song that makes you want to flip it over does the second side kick you back in for the final three or four or five songs and then does it have a great close and this record has all of those things
0: i mean and there are some keyboards i think but most of this song it's just ron wood and mickey waller and you'll hear mickey waller we played him on some of Gasoline Alley. He goes throughout this record. He he was the drummer in the Jeff Beck group for a while. This, none of this works without these drums. They're they're completely idiosyncratic. They're and on Maggie May too. Yeah yeah it's and it's him. It's all him. Yeah. Uh, all over this record. There's a little bit of Ronnie Lane on one song, and we'll get to that. But this is mostly Mickey Waller, and it is some of my favorite drumming ever done on these records. Is the Mickey Waller stuff. I, I love it so much. But think about all those things we were talking about. Think about the bass. Think about the way the melody on the bass works and dominates the song. The fact that they only use this acoustic 12 string out on the side, and then how that bass and the drums drive the entire song. That The guitar, the electric only comes in a few places, and it's not used to accentuate a chorus or something. For one thing, because there is no chorus. But <laughs> That's uh, right. Except for the end when they do the have a picture, tell a story, don't
1: it? I guess, you know. The and they do this
0: amazing thing with the breakdown in the middle, and you'll see it. Uh, Anyways, I'm, we're just going to play it. This oh, is yeah, the, and that's the where she comes song. in. She is
1: beautiful in that. This yes. is
0: Every Picture Tells a Story where he is reinventing what is folk music and what is rock and roll because the instrumentation is mostly what you would use in a folk song. But this ain't a folk song. I mean, they called it folk rock because there's not... At the time, because there weren't many electric guitars. But this is not folk rock. This is fucking blistering music. And it's completely innovative. And, and this is what... I mean, Ron Wood and Rod Stewart are doing here is inventing a new way to play. Well, either they're inventing a new way to play folk music or they're inventing a new way to play rock and roll. Whatever they're doing, they're mixing the two things in a way that is completely original. And and this song in particular, it is a rocket. And check it out. Especially at the very beginning. Beautiful acoustic 12 string and then a pause. And then this. We're off and running. Cup. <laughs> that starts the song. It's so fucking awesome.
3: Yeah. It's true.
0: Every picture tells a story. Enjoy.
2: i <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. yeah.
0: You know, it's funny if you look on the record and the credits for it, uh, they don't they don't uh, credit uh, Maggie Bell with background vocals. They're called uh, vocal abrasives. <laughs> <laughs> they just that's what it says on the record. And same thing for Madeline Bell and and some other people on uh, on seems like a long time. Uh, you know, it's uh, they just call them abrasives, mm-hmm. and they are a little different than a regular background vocal. It's also Long John Baldry in there, I think, at the at the end with singing with, oh, with, with, with the, her yeah. on the Every Picture Tells a Story. Uh, that, that song to me is just, I love the way he leaves that, uh, that hi-hat open so much of the time when he plays. It gives everything this loose sort of messy feeling while it, it's nothing messy about it at all. It's yeah. absolutely propulsive. The drive between the bass and drums, because that's almost all there is on the song, is incredible yeah. to me. The, later on, there's some Ian McClough organ in there and Pete Sears playing some piano. But essentially, it's just Ron Wood on 12 string and bass and uh Mickey Waller on drums and the two of them with Rod singing just blow that the roof off that song it's incredible to me yeah. how much drive you get out of those instruments which we've you know it, it it's so much easier just to put an electric guitar on things and that's what's mostly done because you have to come up with that insane bass part if you want to do that mm-hmm. and that is it's it's just non-stop invention it blows my mind uh so just to continue on here, uh, Wanna Play Tomorrow is a long time because it is one of the truly great Dylan covers. I mean, everybody covers Dylan because he wrote so many great songs and so many people have done great covers. But this is one where you just never even think about it being a Dylan song. Right, it's just like when
1: Dylan said, when he heard uh, the Rod Stewart's version of Only a Hobo, which we played last week,
0: he said, that's it, I, I'm not doing it. This is, that's, it's done now, it's his song. And it kind of does that with this. He, yes i i agree he makes he, he makes it entirely his own it's a pretty simple arrangement it's like uh, it's a strumming acoustic which i think is just martin quintenden who plays a lot of the acoustic and was really his like partner in crime along with ronnie wood on a lot of these records uh and then there's some slide and violin which is probably ron wood on the slide maybe sam mitchell and uh the violin just comes in at the ends of the verses sort of uh Mark the instrumental sort of coda on it, and that's a uh, Dick Powell on a lot of these records. Very but sweet. Yeah. you really want to see someone just own a song. Uh, he does. It's a beautiful, beautiful Dylan song, and I didn't know for years it was a Dylan song because I never looked. It just seemed like a Rod Stewart song. And hmm. check this out. This is it's so beautiful. Tomorrow is a long time. Rod Stewart. <laughs>
2: Today was not an endless highway If tonight was not a crooked trail If tomorrow wasn't such a long time Then lonesome would mean nothing to you at all Ah, but only if my own true love is waiting Yes, and if I could hear her heart softly pounding Only if she were lying by me Would I rest in my bed once again I can't see my reflection in the mirror I can't speak the sound that show no pain I can hear the echoes of my footsteps And can remember the sound of my own name Ah, but only if my own true love is waiting Yes, and if I could hear her heart I'd be pounding Only if she were lying by me Would I rest? In my bed once again There's beauty in the silver singing river There's beauty in the sunlight in the sky But none of these and nothing else can steal the beauty That I remember in my true love's eyes Ah, but only if my own true love is waiting Yes, and if I could hear her heart softly pounding Only if she were lying by me Would I rest in my bed Once again Ah, but only if my own true love is waiting Yes, and if I could hear her heart is softly pounding Only if she were lying by me Would I rest in my bed once again
0: One of the reasons that they take such ownership of the song is because they've really got a sound at this point that they're working with this this rearrangement of folk sounds, the way they're panning things, you know the way the acoustic is on the left and then the electric and the slide come in on the right uh, the way he sings his own abrasives on that song in a way uh, there really is a very clear and unique and distinct tone to stuff on this record which is part of what i mean it's not just the spec that's a great vocal but but it's also just that there's a real vibe here Mm -hmm. you know that, that 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 then brings everything into it and makes it its own thing you know also
1: a great harmony by him with himself uh it's like an echoed back there harmony he does on the courses that's I mean, what i
0: meant by his own abrasives like, yeah yeah <laughs> he's, he's kind of singing it the same way she does in a way it's, yeah. just, it's, it's in the back and it's kind of like rub, rubbing on his vocal it seems it's unison for a second and then it rubs off it yes it's not dissimilar to what he does on maybe i'm amazed against ronnie lane's vocal right he just you know? jumps
1: off and does a harmony of the last line yeah. and uh i mean that's as folky as folk gets uh, I, I would be surprised if Pete Seeger or the Weavers didn't cover that because um, it's Dylan's attempt at doing that very late 1950s folk music. And But Rod Stewart, again, does not worry about that. He takes it and makes it very much his own, and it fits perfectly
0: in the construct of this record. Yeah, I mean, you don't sit there thinking he's covering a Dylan song. No. You know, like the the Birds did the quintessential versions of some Dylan songs, like Tambourine Man and... Uh, there's a couple others they did back in, in their early oh, records. Oh yeah, sure, where they, sure. And their their Mighty versions Quinn are the ones and, that make the hits. Oh, that was but the man for man, wasn't it? They still feel like Dylan songs. They do. And this is it feels like a whole different color of a Dylan song. But this maybe it's because it's more obscure too. But you would just it just seems like Rod Stewart and Ron Wood doing this thing, and it's it's stunningly beautiful. Yes. Um, I want to play another song right now. This is uh, I. I, I I kind of forced this one into the into the show because, <laughs> uh, to me, it's it's the... I can't remember who wrote it, but this was Elvis Presley's first single for Sun Records. Yes. Uh, so it's a song that has a pretty distinct place in rock history. Yes, Arthur and, Crudup, I believe, wrote oh, it. That's right. Uh, and these guys do something with it. It's just spectacular. It, 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 it's, all, it's the most faces-sounding this band gets on this record. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have this real technique for keeping these clear for the vocal, which is that they they leave the electric guitar out for a lot of a lot of these songs they just do and they have the slide way over on the left as we have mentioned before they pan the piano in this case out on the right and when the slide finally the electric does finally come in everything the piano drops out for a second so that it can just it's near the end of the song so it can duel for a second with well with himself playing the slide on the on the left i think they're both ron wood like I said before There's some slide on this record That is played by Sam Mitchell But I don't know which songs it's on And this one I'm, not, I'm unclear about um, And it is a gutsy It's it's still gutsy Like maybe I'm
1: amazed Being recorded and put out Like five months after the record Actually comes out uh, You know this is It's It's since been debunked, this story. But apocryphally, for the longest time, this was considered the first rock and roll song. I mean, people will argue like Rocket 88 or going even further back than that. Certainly, by this point, Little Richard had been writing songs. But this is a song that has... It's the first song that Elvis Presley recorded for Sun Records, and we know the rest of that story. Uh, and by this point in 1971, Elvis is still a force. He's made his comeback in 68, and people are celebrating the origins of rock and roll. And for Rod Stewart to put this on his record is a gutsy move, and to do it this well is an excellent statement by him.
0: Yeah, because it is, again, absolutely blistering. It is it is an unapologetic, vicious take on this song. It is it is the most rollicking fats waller meets the sex pistols or something it is just so blistering how it goes through it it's funny it's, and it's all again on acoustic instruments for most of the body of the song the electric comes in right at the end and i love the way this song ends it's a series of repetitions of the chorus line with then breakdowns with soloing in between some of them are uh slide guitar and piano some of them are slide guitar on the left and bass in the middle some of them are Uh, acoustic slide and electric on the right. Some of them are just drums and they're all really like witty and idiosyncratic musical moments. They're they're They all have a wink and a humor to them and they just do about 10 of them on the way out. You know, the song just drives on the acoustic shit and then it's just like acoustic guitar on the left piano on the right. Although there's one point where the piano does a fill and they all of a sudden just, it's, I think they just recorded a different piano and it just jumps out on the left and goes away again. And the drums, bass and drums in the middle and then in the ending it's just a series of repetitions of this chorus line with breaks at the ending and it's it couldn't be any more fun uh so this is that's all right also i love that the phrase was the phrase is always that's all right mama and that in order to give it an extra punch rod says that's all right my mama he gives it a (laughs) mama or my mom or a mama and it gives it an extra little little beat in there it's like almost like a drum roll in the vocal
1: and, and after this, a lot of Southern rock bands uh, started covering this song. And it's almost like Rod Stewart gave it, because it's coming from an Englishman, and he gave it such a unique, strong uh, feature to it. It's almost as if he gave them permission.
0: Well, Go ahead. in a lot of ways, this is what Muscle Shoals sounds like somewhat later. Yes, very This is good. That, that, that whole yes. Southern sound, Muscle Dwayne Shoals Ullman. that becomes. Yes, yes. All those guys, you know, you can hear it right here uh, in this song. Uh, very true it, you know it's the, like I said it's the mo- it sounds like it's the faces it's not the faces it's, you, you, you'll hear the faces in another moment they're a little different a little bluesier but this is uh, check out this version of That's Alright Arthur Crudup's That's Alright again March 28th 1971 every picture tells a story this is That's Alright Rod Stewart I mean, fuck yeah! That that whole outro, I, I love that outro so much. That I love the thing they do. The electric guitar is not, but in the whole song, and then at the moment it comes in, the piano drops out, but so do the drums, and they do that fill with just the two guitars, electric on the right, acoustic uh like slide on the left, and they go at each other, and then the whole and then the drums come back in. The whole outro is just repetitions of "That's all right, Mama." Any way you want to do, and then whoever, it's a bass on one, it's the two guitars on that one, it's the piano and the bass on another and, and then it's just like the the slide against the bass and then it's just that crazy hysteric, i think it's just such a funny little drum roll he does it's got so much humor in it and then from that point on there it's just like these different drum builds that the whole band follows one one way and then a halftime version of that one and then you know i mean it's just such an inventive way to repeat the same thing over and over again but it never feels repeated because it's not really they're 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 going somewhere different every time around all humorous all winks at you all like full of personality and style yeah and they they really are
1: putting a not to put too finer a point on what i was saying about the earlier about how much of a looming presence the Elvis Presley version of that is It's they're just completely going away from it. They're going and making it. We've said this a million times about Rod Stewart, but this band is just doing it. And this is sort of a precursor to what they do on Stay With Me, the famous breaks. Um, And it really does reek of a a Faces song. You know, I didn't remember this was on this record, and I would have said if you would have played this to me cold, I would have said, well, this this is what Faces album is this on. And uh, yes, but really a wonderful version of that. And, you know, just a a great song with – and fun to do. And it does reek of muscle shells. Good call. It you know, has that thing, style.
0: Uh, about those, all those breaks and everything, it's easy to because he's the one we think of as the musician to give a lot of the credit to Ron Wood, but in reading in the Faces uh, box set, there's a quote. They're talking about Stay With Me, which we'll get into later on a Faces record, Not As Good as a Wink. But... Ron Wood says, "I had the structure of the song, but Rod knew where the breakdowns would be, how to shuffle the parts. Verse here, the build-up, chorus there, interlude, back to verse. The jumping tempo at the end, Wood notes, was standard face procedure. Most of our songs would started in one groove, built up energy, and then finished in double time. We'd go woo, and then till the song blew up or burst. Right. You know, I mean, uh, it's funny he says that because I do think these records are all they're credited as produced by Rod." So you would think at that point, the arrangements, a lot of what's going into it is him. Right. Um, and that he and would, they're very distinctive from the faces.
1: They are. And, and it, because he's in both bands, and so is Ron, uh, they know that they want to do something different. Like they have to, it's kind of the same, it, there's a lot of overlapping, but they have to give a Rod Stewart album its flavor. And this one does. This is a, and that's a great departure from what he does mainly on this record, which is very strategically arranged folk rock. Uh, that's Muscle Shoals, bluesy country rock. Uh, but if you listen, listen to like Maggie Mae, Mandolin Wind, uh, Reason to Believe, uh, the, um, the first song, Every Picture Tells a Story, they have, they're, they're rooted in sort of a folk thing. And then he comes at this and then the Temptations cover later on from a different angle. Yeah.
0: He's hitting all the things he's really good at, which is why this is the Rod Stewart album. And he is a he is such a great arranger. But I want to get on because the big hit that everyone knows off this record is, of course, Maggie May." It's his first big hit. It changes his life. It changes everything for all these people. Uh, but that's not actually the first single. The funny thing is the first single was a cover of a Tim Harden song, Find a Reason to Believe. Which a million people have covered. And it's a beautiful song. I think this is Danny Thompson playing the upright bass on it. Uh, when we get to the Richard Thompson podcast we're going to do, Danny Thompson plays a lot with Richard Thompson. Uh, he's a founding member of Pentangle with Bert Yanch and John Renborn. But check this out. This is Reason to Believe, and then we'll explain to you afterwards what actually happens and how Rod Stewart becomes a huge star. <laughs> but this is Tim Harden song. Find a reason to believe. <laughs>
2: If I listen long enough to you, I'd find a way to believe that it's all true. Knowing that you lied, straight faced while I cried, still I look to find a reason to believe. Someone like you Makes it hard to live without Somebody else Someone like you Makes it easy to give Never think about myself If I gave you time to change my mind to live without somebody else, someone like you, makes it easy to give, never think about myself, someone like you, makes it hard to live without somebody else.
1: You know, you pointed this out to me while I was... Well, actually, I first noticed the incredible synergy between the Hammond and the piano in this song and how it just leaves this wonderful bed of clouds in which Rod Stewart floats along uh, with this melody. Uh, It's just really a huge part of the way this song is arranged. And for some reason, and I've heard it a million times, just now it just kind of came out. It just... I, I was just really impressed by what those guys are doing there to allow Rod to do what he does, and it becomes ever more prevalent when he when everything drops out, and then it's just him, and then everything comes flows back in. It's, it's great. Speaking of what we were saying before, it's a great way to arrange that song.
0: Yeah, and you, and they leave holes for him to do that several times in the song. Everything stops, and the vocal brings it all back in. Uh, it's a fantastic song. Um, it really is. I just want to, a quick. Uh, Aside here, uh, we're leaving Mandolin Wind out of this podcast, uh, <laughs> but but I don't want you to think that I don't think it's... I think it's a spectacular piece of songwriting, and I love the song. Uh, we have a slight disagreement on that part, but we also have too many songs, so it, it was a good idea. It, we needed to leave something out.
1: It was hard to go. I at first said maybe we should leave out the, the, the up song, but I think that gives a... a that's so, Uh, so much of a departure from what's going on in this record. I just said, and I like Mandolin Wind, I just don't think it's as good, personally, as all the other ones that I just mentioned. The Dylan cover, Reason to Believe, uh, the Every Picture Tells a Story, and Maggie May. I don't disagree with you there. That's the only thing. It's like, to me, if we're going to list the top five, that would come in fifth. We had to let something go. We can't play the whole record, practically playing the whole record. But it's worth it to play the whole record because there's so many... Nuances to this thing. And if you're going to do a story, if you're going to do podcasts with tributes to early Rod Stewart, where he's building a foundation of a career that has spanned four decades plus and made him a huge star in the 1970s and 80s and 90s, it begins
0: right here. So what we were talking about is this was actually the first single that the record company sent out was Reason to Believe. And what happened was Somebody flipped the forty five over because on the other side of the forty five was another song, and that song changed everything. It was his first number one hit it 's a massive hit uh, Maggie May was recorded in two takes period, just two takes once again it 's mostly twelve string uh, and bass, both of which are Ron Wood and drums uh Mickey Waller. This time you have Ian Mcclaghan playing some organ, the electric guitar, Ron Woods again. <laughs> Once more, doesn't come in until on a break. After about two and a half minutes have passed, they keep leaving these things out. Uh, Pete Sears comes in with a little bit of Celeste. After that, pretty sparse, just like on the ones. Uh, it's a fictional story about Ron Wood about Rod Stewart and how he lost his virginity to an older woman. But again, this this way of doing it, this this acoustic guitar out on the left, you know, uh, keys on the right, the drums and the bass in the middle, driving it. Uh, Ron Wood's incredible bass playing. I mean, he's known as a guitar player and he is a great guitar player, but his bass playing on this record is insane on all the records. It's really? so so, so good. Uh, and it's the reason everything works and and I suppose it's Rod Stewart's concept that leads to all this because he's the one listed as a producer on all of it. but this is the the B side that became the a side because it was somebody flipped the record in some radio station. And then it caught on, and more and more people started doing it, and pretty soon it became you know the, the biggest hit of his career. And you understand because reason
1: to believe has got a very sing songy chorus. It's beautifully arranged. Everything's very clear. This song, two takes, as Adam mentioned, was is but this song. No one knew it at the time is the quintessential Rod Stewart song. He's bringing in that character again, the lovable loser who just got suckered into... I don't know how I got here, but I'm just enjoying myself, and I guess I'll just be going back to school after I've just been bounced around and abused by this older woman. And when he sings things like, Oh, Maggie, I couldn't have tried... It's just him, again, beseeching. It's him just being damaged and romantically just sort of damaged. He's having a great time. But that's the other thing, if I may, if I may. There's an undercurrent of wonderful wink, wink. Yeah, I was abused, but man, that was a lot of fun. If you're going to be abused, be abused this way. And I must make this point. Everyone knows it. Everyone's heard it. But the breakdown of the mandolin and guitars there at that one point before it goes into the coda is one of my favorite things on any record Ever. And I'm not one of those people who run around saying, Maggie Mae, Maggie Mae. I've got m- m- way more. I mean, I love uh, you know Lady Mary from from the the, um, the Faces record more than this song. But this and the beginning part, which they almost never play on the radio, that little old English sort of sounds a little bit like... That's Fair because, because it's not Co- part of this song.
0: Well, what do do is it? Do, 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 do. That's not part of this song. Wait, that's, why, is it called something that's why they don't else? play it. Because that's the, actually the song Henry... Uh, it it got there's two things in this record that got sort of uh, the end of That's All Right goes straight into Amazing Grace but they were originally two separate songs and that is definitely Sam Mitchell playing the slide on Amazing Grace, which is, a, by a, the way, which is an instrumental, right?
1: No, it's uh, does he sing? Oh, maybe it, it is an no, instrumental. No, like, no,
0: you're right. I think she, he sings one verse. Of yeah, it. yeah. Uh, and yeah. this song, Martin Quittenden, the classical guitar player who plays a lot of acoustics on these records in some places, he. So it's an old English standard. He he wrote that. No, Henry is a piece he wrote. It's thirty by twenty-five seconds long. And then on later versions of the record, it got just sort of, like, appended onto the beginning of Maggie Mae as an intro. But it's not the intro to Maggie Mae. The intro to Maggie May is that... Right, da, right. Da,
1: da. That's interesting, because when I first heard that record, because I've heard it with that opening, right? We yeah. all did on the radio, on AM radio when you were a kid. I can't say all of us, but all of us from back growing up in the 70s. But when I heard it on the record proper, probably I want to say in college, maybe late maybe the last couple of years of high school, I heard that and I thought, oh man, why do they always
0: leave that off? It's kind of neat. It's, a sep- it's actually a separate song depending on when your version of the record or in this case the CD came from because that would lead you to have it as one track on your MP3. Uh, it is either there or not. And it's I probably on this. Have, it, in my case, it was appended to it, but I actually stuck it into GarageBand a while ago and snipped off that and snipped off the Amazing Grace part to make them separate tracks because... They, they were originally separate, separate tracks. tracks. Yeah, so I um, apologize for that, but thanks for pointing that out because I had no idea. I thought that was supposed to be
1: part of it, and then they just took it off because, you know, in AM radio, it's a hit. They're not going to play 30 seconds of some,
0: you know, it was par- actually an instrumental interlude right before Maggie Mae. And it works, by the way. Oh, no, it works great. But uh, this is how Maggie Mae goes without it because <laughs> that works too. It did, and it does.
2: I think I got something to say to you It's late September And I really should be back at school I know I keep you amused. you turned into You stole my heart
0: ray jackson from lindisfarne uh playing the mandolin on that tune or as as rod refers to him on this record because he forgot the guy's name <laughs> mandolins by that guy from lindisfarne <laughs> i think on the last podcast i said it was that guy from pentangle but it's actually it was a. Uh, I i was confusing uh still it's that guy danny thompson with, with uh ray jackson danny thompson who gets credit for playing upright bass on the album is that guy from pentangle yes Ray Jackson, who doesn't get credit, is that guy from Lindisfarne. <laughs>
1: and, and that whole ending there that I lauded prior to playing it is just a whole other melody. I mean, You can write a song around... You know, I just love that. You know, it's just a whole other thing that happens. And then he comes in for that last, you know, oh, Maggie... You know, I wish I'd never seen your face. I love that. The whole thing is really great. It's a great story, and he tells it. Again, this is an album filled with storytelling, and he does it so well. He does it so well. But he ends up... Is this last thing you're going to play the last thing on the record? No, the last thing on the record is actually Reason to Believe. This
0: is the second to last uh, thing on okay. the record. okay. For some
1: reason, I always f- f- thought that this was the last track on the album.
0: But we should just play it, because it's going to lead right into the other one, and uh, it's going to lead right into the next record, because this is the song on the record where... All of the, I mean, Nina McLaughlin's on a bunch of stuff, obviously. So is Ron Wood, uh, but this song is straight up the Faces playing on a Rod Stewart record,
1: and it sounds like it.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a Temptation song. Uh, you know, uh, Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong. No, no, I'm sorry. It's uh, Norman Whitfield and Eddie Holland wrote this one, and Cornelius Grant. So half of Holland is your Holland, half of Whit, uh, Barrett Strong, half of Whitfield Strong. Right. Uh, Great song. And uh, yeah, it's a fantastic song called "I'm Losing You," but it is quintessential Faces. And you'll hear the difference between it. This is a rave up with the faces on it. The other one, uh, That's All Right, was the, the band in Rod Stewart. Um, so it's a little different. This, this one is back to Kenny Jones on drums, Ronnie Lane on bass, Ian McLaughlin on the keys, Ron Wood and Rod Stewart. A whole lot of slide guitar by Ron Wood here. This is I'm Losing You, or I Know I'm Losing You. It's the last thing we're going to play you off. Every picture tells a story. And then we're going to get to the faces. So check this out. <laughs> ¶¶
1: to apologize that is one of the few songs that ron wood is not playing slide guitar on but he has got that great fuzzy distorted sound that is prevalent on the faces stuff especially on the one we're about to play that he brought to the very first stones album studio album that he plays on which is black and blue and the song that he's credited with writing which is very rare for mick and keith to give up writing credit was a song called hey negrita which is totally has that you know that that sound, which he abandons later on in some girls and other places. He and Keith figure it out, but at that point he's bringing Faces right to the Stones in their studio. uh, hang, uh, uh hand of, hand of fate, he's playing it on on that record. So that kind of style, which you're going to hear uh, in abundance with the next Faces record, is. Really kind of what I was going for. It's not that slide you get on a lot of the earlier stuff. It's that kind of distorted, ballsy guitar sound that Ron Wood brings to the face of stuff now.
0: So I want to jump... uh right to that record because this is now about uh, seven months later. It's the 17th of November. Same year. Still 1971. Three records these guys do that year. And uh, the first track, Miss Judy's Farm, if you remember at the beginning of I'm Losing You, he's got this guitar figure. The bass kind of comes in against it and then it changes to a funkier figure which changes again to an even funkier figure halfway through that first verse. And that happens here too. He's playing a pretty simple guitar, chunky guitar riff right at the top and then the keyboard comes in on the right side, the guitar's on the left, and they start playing this, do, 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 and it all of a sudden, it's this whole other <laughs> funk happening, and it's the true. arrangement and the way it's produced, because this is the first record The Faces do with Glenn Johns, and right away, to me, you hear this, there's a way he's panning, a way he's mixing, a way it's going down that is... You're able to hear things in a way you haven't heard before. And it make, it brings out some of the funk in what they're doing. And I think you notice it right away on this song, Miss Judy's Farm. Like right off the bat, you can hear that little more complicated arrangement. Instead of just doing it and going around and rocking the shit out of it, they they lead you in with one figure and then immediately switch to a different, funkier one. This is the first song off and of Not As Good As A Wink, dot, 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 to a blind horse. This is The Faces, Miss Judy's Farm.
1: were able to describe what it took me about three or four sentences when you said it was chunkety. I love that. That's exactly what that guitar sound is. And I love how I mentioned it uh, to Adam while I was playing. The uh, He almost goes into like this pinball wizard thing at the end where everybody just drops out and then it cuts back and then it's like a bluesy kind of riff that is everything again we've said this a few times and the quintessential uh faces song is on this record but that is as close as it comes because it's got it all in there you know the keyboard's driving along the drums filling and banging along and of course Ron Wood with the chunky guitar and then you know rod is just belting over it in that soulful bluesy uh, rock and roll voice. It's just a great way to open the record, and you could tell immediately the sonic difference between this and Long Player and the first record. No, no question about it. Which will does he produce Ooh La, La as well? I think he does. I'm not
0: entirely sure. I'll I know tell you in two seconds there was some. Yes, kind of, he does. He does. He does. Yeah, yes. some,
1: there was some kind of fallout between him and Rod because Rod was not a big fan of Ooh La La later on. We'll get to that better. Uh, he, he felt like this was the last great uh, Faces record, and. Um, there's many reasons why he would think that because it, they were really at the top of their game here. He had just put out a huge record, and they're following it up with a really representative record of his singing and their playing.
0: Well, uh, and they and it goes, I think, believe straight to number one too. It, it it really does benefit from his success right here because the faces, you know, at at this point, I think it seems like a great thing to all of them that Rod had all that success because. Yes. It, the faces—it's the—it's the biggest record I think they have happens right here as well, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a lot of good that comes from Glenn Johns being with them. I, I think it enables you to hear a little more of the arrangement and the complexity. The things that they had been capturing live in their innovations and in their improvisation, but they hadn't necessarily been getting down on the record tracks, they get it down on the tracks on this record. They don't need to put live tracks on this record because they nail the the studio tracks. Uh, The next track, the second track on the record, is a Ronnie Laney and McLaughlin song called You're So Rude. I mean, it's a really funny song in a lot of ways. It's like he's talking to a girl about how much my mom loves you. She says you're great. She loves the clothes you wear. She says to bring you home next Sunday to meet the family. Oh look, nobody's home. I wonder where they all went. They must have gone to see my aunt, you know. So he like talks her into coming over to the house. He's like, well, you know, just take your co- let me take your coat, take off your shoes, try the sofa. He's hitting on the girl, and it's getting dark. We'll miss the bus. Oh, it's only eight. Well, I'm not taking any chances. Wait a minute. Why'd they come back so soon? He says, "Straighten your dress. You're really looking a mess." I'll wet my socks. Pretend we just got caught in the rain. Oh, you're so (laughs) rude. Is the end of the song. And it's a funny little, little, uh, sexy song about him seducing a girl that he brings home when the family's out. But it's also it's a it's just as funky as that one, and it's also a great vocal by him. And having finally having a producer on there. You know, he doesn't have quite the trustworthy voice that Ron Wood does, but he is a good singer. And having Glyn Johns there really helps, because as a producer, he knows how to get the vocal. And they get the vocal that works for this song. You catch all of his humor. You're not just noticing that he's not as good a singer as Rod Stewart. It doesn't matter in this case. On You're So Rude, they nail it, because he knows just how to get Ronnie Lane's voice. And what you get is all the winks in the song, and all the humor in the song. And he sings it Great. It's a tough act to follow, following Miss Judy's Farm at the lead off to a record, but You're So Rude totally nails it. Check this out. This is, this is an Ian McCloughan and Ronnie Lane song with Ronnie Lane singing the leads. This is You're So Rude.
4: She thinks you're a swell. Got the makings of a dad. Take your coat It's only eight? Well, I'm not taking any chances. What's that noise? Why'd they come back so soon? Straighten your dress, you're really looking a mess. I'll wet my socks, pretend we just got...
1: know we're getting towards the end of the podcast but i have a couple of quick observations about that song the first one is it's what the english would call taking the piss uh out of a situation and of course it feeds into that lovable loser i tried to get i can't catch a break kind of thing that rod stewart has going and it reminds me very much of what Bob Ezrin did with Alice Cooper in the early days. It, that's what Alice told me one time when I interviewed him. He goes, we had all these songs where I just can't get the girl. I can't work it out. I I had a chance to make money, and then I fall into a mud pud- puddle. It was that kind of thing that I think that works really well in that song. And because – who's playing the harmonica on that? It must be Rod, huh? I think that is Rod. I'm not sure. I'll tell you in two seconds. It, it kind of adds – Yeah, it's definitely Rod. Yeah, and it's so funny because it adds to the whole – sort of humor of it, much like Stone did. And I and I love Ronnie Lane's uh humor and I'm glad you mentioned that. They, they, they and, and um uh Glenn Johns did arrange that and produce it in a way where it just comes across as a great barroom, sad sack song. I love it. But it's it.
0: also tight. It's like uh and the vocal is great. You know what I mean? It's it got really a lot is. of character and personality and you don't sit there thinking about how he doesn't sing like Rod Stewart or as well as it doesn't you know he's got he's gotten to really give a great Ronnie Lane vocal there. It's, it's all him. There's no Rod Stewart in there. No, no. It's a and it's a great vocal. It's it's not it's not Rod Stewart. But you're not sitting there thinking about how he's not a good singer. It's it's a really good vocal. It's re, it captures everything you want in that song. And the track itself reminds me of Booker T and the M.G.'s or something. It's so funk. Or the Meters. It's got that. Yeah. Could be True. Steve Cropper on guitar in a way. You know, it's got that. That funk and that sort of like, I wish I could think of who else it's reminding me of, kind of Leon Russell at times a yeah, little bit, the yeah. tone of it, or... or yeah, uh, Dr. John. Yeah, and in the same way, kind of some of the uh, the Randy Newman songs that are written like that, yes. but, but not necessarily played by him. You know, it's got that, that real tight keyboard that Ian McCloughan's playing. Yes. That's, and then the funky bass drums off of it with the... Yeah, kind of like what three, with, yeah, with, with three Dog Night did with uh, Mama Told Me Not to right, Come. Right, exactly. It's a lot like that, you know? Yeah. So the next one we want to play is The Quintessential Faces hit. it's the, it's the one big hit really they ever had I think you know Yeah it's the one you'll hear on rock radio forever And it's it's great and it, this is the one I we were talking about earlier when I was quoting that thing that Ron Wood said about how he had the, the chords but it was Rod who knew when to do the verse when to do the breakdown when to do how to put the whole structure of it together and make it interesting you know And he op- they open it up with the
1: way it ends it opens up with that furious sort of double-time guitar part, and then it eases, much like Judy's, eases its back into the funk of the song and gets them to tell a story in the morning. But before that, it's like, and then they kick into that outro, which everyone gets the solo, which is just so great. As he said, that like they,
0: they, they like to do as wrong Wood said, we like to like halfway through every song, we like to just stop. And then go double time. And as far as, <laughs> see how fast we could go out. Yeah. And he said it was problematic a few times when they were like really high and really doing a lot of speed. Yeah. They would try and play Stay With Me and, and Rod couldn't get the words out because they were going too fast. <laughs> um, I read that in there somewhere too. Um, you know, that was a problem with a lot of cocaine going on in the 70s. A band that liked to change tempos could get in a lot of trouble. <laughs> um, but let's just play it for you because, I mean, we've, we've talked enough about what a lot of these guys do. I feel like we can just play you some of these songs. I, this song it's called Stay With Me. Kicks I mean, ass. It does. It completely fucking kicks ass. It's got everything that the previous two songs had, but quite honestly it does both of it it does it a little better. Uh, it's an amazing song. And it's the quintessential song by this band. Maybe their highest the apex of what they could do and did do yeah. in this in this quintet.
1: And as Rod said before, maybe I'm
0: amazed. If you haven't heard this song,
1: where where you been?
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, still from a not as good as a wink to a blind horse. This is the Faces. Stay with me. That's the most stones the faces ever sounded. They sound like Sticky Fingers era stones. But I want to point out to you that that outro, because I love that outro too, but it's very, very, very similar to the outro that Rod Stewart and the band do on uh, That's All Right Mama, a repeated. He's singing over the one, and on that's all right, Mama. But right. still, they're repeating a phrase yeah. with the fill and the turnaround at the end. It's just like that. It's a they're precursor doing it without the vocal. Yeah, you know, yeah, I
1: brought that up earlier. It's 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 a precursor to that. You could see how each one of these albums inform the next thing, since a lot of these guys are playing on all of these records. And I mean, that is iconic. The end of that song is iconic. There's a part, a few things that are so great. And I know we're coming up at the end of the podcast, but uh, Ron Wood plays. When they used to do it live, they would do a bass solo, but then Ron Wood plays the guitar over the bass solo for the record. Then he plays as you would say, this is your word, blistering guitar right there. Then when the keyboard comes in and he plays it the 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 descending notes when and then goes da 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 It's so cool. It Sounds like a horn section, amazing. And then you know, the drum fill like you said. It
0: really reminds me of the of the uh that's all right, and right down to the humorous kind of to yeah, drum yes. so drum fill, which is very much like the one Mickey Waller plays on that 's all right, you yes. know. I I mean I don't remember what the exact one is, but it's like they've got all this humor and this stop, start, stop, put yeah, yeah, yeah. it's so fun.
1: It's fun loving and that's what we say about the faces all along, but and then just him is hooting, you know, what's your name again and the, get yourself home you know, all that stuff is just so much fun. I mean that's one of the greats. I'm yeah. sure everybody's played that a million I absolutely times. Absolutely love but, that song. Alright, so let's finish up. I want to finish up with Debris. uh, 1971, which, by the way, was the year that Sticky Fingers came out. Yes. Um, What an amazing...
0: What a year. What a year. For these guys. I mean, seriously. uh, But this song, uh, it's easy to get to skip over how great a writer Ronnie Lane was. And in a lot of ways, he's the one they credit with being the real songwriter songwriter in the band who'd come in with things completely done. Uh, As he did for The Small Faces. And he was... He really wrote, especially in the ballads, although You're So Rude's not one, especially in the ballads, and there's a lot of them on Ooh La La, but he writes these songs that are such beautiful slices of pictures, bittersweet pictures of people's lives, and Debris is a song about his uh, his relationship with his dad, and I'm just going to tell you the lyrics real quickly, and then we're going to probably have to stop, and we'll just leave you with this song on the way out. I left you on the Debris at the Sunday morning market. You were sorting through the odds and ends. You was looking for a bargain. I heard your footsteps at the front door and that old familiar love song because you knew you'd find me waiting there at the top of the stairs. I went there and back just to see how far it was, and you, you tried to tell me, but I had to learn for myself. There's more trouble at the depot with the General Workers Union, and you said they'll never change a thing. Well, they won't fight, and they're not working. Oh, you was my hero. How you are, my good friend. I've been there and back, and I know how far it is. But I left you on the debris. Now we both know you got no money. And I wonder what you would have done without me hanging around. It's a beautiful piece of writing and a beautiful song. And it's easy to fall in love with how big a deal Rod Stewart is to all of us. And he is. I worship the guy, especially at this point in his career. But the faces were great because they had five guys. And Rod Stewart. You know, well, including Rod Stewart, that's what I'm they saying. were like, really that's a band. Stewart plus, for, you know, yes, of and, course. And Ronnie Laney's a great writer. And what the problem is that Rod Stewart gets really big, and I don't mean to say he gets big-headed at all, but he's he gets a huge after. And after a while, story. it becomes
1: Rod Stewart in the faces. They start well, announcing. He, they them they now, do right? not call themselves. They don't that. want to do it, but that's the, what the, it but became. But they'll
0: show up at places and it'll say Rod Stewart in the faces, and they're you know like. They would send people down early to take that off a of signs. Right. Not the. It was very embarrassing for Rod, who didn't like that. They were a band, right? But Agreed. The fact that he's become so big means that a lot of it is direct. A lot of the attention is directed at him, and it's harder and harder for Ronnie Delane to get this, his songs in. And the strain of that starts to show after this. Yeah. Um, not so much on this record, where they're all still completely all in. In 1971, they're still very much a band. But in the years that follow, the one or two years after this, when it all falls apart, I just wanted to leave you today with a Ronnie Lane song so you would know that there was really other things there other than just Rod. And he's a great writer. And this is a great song. It's a beautiful song. Um, So we should probably take off. We'll leave you for today with Debris from A Nod's As Good As A Wink. Three records in 1971. Long Mm -hmm. player, every picture tells a story, and A Nod's As Good As A Wink. To a blind horse, Rod Stewart and Ron Wood—they are incredible, incredible, right there. And, In, and, incredible work.
1: And I just hope, and I'm sure, it, it's been a lot of fun doing this, putting it together, and and sitting here and doing this with Adam. But I just hope that our enthusiasm for this music and sharing it with you is coming through the speakers and the headphones. Because uh, we, it's been a lot of fun revisiting these songs. It's an amazing period. It really is. And and uh, so yeah, let's leave you with this, as we like to say. This has been the Underwater Sunshine Podcast. I'm
0: James. I'm Adam. Peace. Late. drink.
4: You on the debris at the Sunday morning market. You were sorting through the odds and ends. You was looking for a bargain. I heard your footsteps at the front door. And that old familiar love song Cause you knew you'd find me waiting there At the top of the stairs trouble at the depot with the general workers union and they said they'll never change a thing well they won't fight and they're not working I left you on the debris Now we both know you got no money And I wonder what you would have done Without me